With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. Blue Wire. What and, is tax uh, day? May 17th? Yeah, it's Monday. Cool. I'm really, uh, I got to get on that. <laughs> We're going to get TurboTax to, uh, <laughs> to sponsor the show. To sponsor the show. Yeah. Shout out to them. I was, it was like that Simpsons episode where like, Homer is it's tax day and he just kind of like checks a bunch of boxes and throws some money in the envelope and like I don't know triple double stamps it and throws it in the uh in the mailbox and hopefully prays for the best you know writes off kids I would love that I would love that hello hello and welcome to unsalvageable the Utah Jazz podcast part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network with me, Sarah Todd, jazz beat reporter for the Deseret News, and Greg Foster. Greg, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing fabulous. I'm down in beautiful St. George, hanging out in the desert, and I spent some time uh, with a on my bike this morning, all the way up until I broke my wheel, which was a very expensive uh, mistake that I made. But thank you, tax return. I would just like to say, you know, last episode we talked about the the play-in tournament, and we disagree a little bit. I I was starting to like it a little more over the last few weeks, and as of pretty much yesterday, I am fully on board. I love the play-in tournament. I can't get enough of it. I watched yesterday. I watched the fourth quarter of the San Antonio Spurs play the New York Knicks. Why would I do that? Why would anyone want to do that? It's because it mattered. It mattered in one of the last handful of games of the season. I watched the last fourth quarter of the Sacramento Kings and the Grizzlies, where the Sacramento was eliminated. It was an elimination game for them for the play-in game, and I just I'm really excited. I feel like every game matters, and it's been fun. I will agree with you on that. I'm coming around a little bit. I'm still not a big fan, again, because my beautiful jazz boys have worked so hard and have gotten, they're going to end up as the one or two seed regardless, more than likely the one seed, you know, because they're playing two teams back to back uh, that want to lose. And if there's one thing that we know about the Kings, when they want to lose, they'll do it. Oh, they'll do it. (laughs) And tell me, Lou, Lou Dort's not playing tonight. Like no one's playing. Yeah, we're getting the Thunder. The Thunder have been continuously tanking since the beginning of the season, and the Kings are accidentally tanking since the beginning of the season. The are the the Thunder made it known they were tanking the second that they sent Al Horford home with like a bunch of margarita mix. Yeah, they were like, "Hey, Al, enjoy pre-retirement." Little sneak preview of what your life's going to be like in I don't know two years. Exactly, but. uh, 
back to the play-in tournament. I will agree. It's exciting. It's fun to have uh, things matter at the end of the season instead of just, you know, blank blatant tanking like you normally get we're still rewarding mediocrity and i still just want my boys to know who they're playing yeah um and i i agree that's a bad part especially this season this season we are dealing with it because the quick turnaround between uh the play-in and the playoffs if they had a break there i'd have pretty much no problem at all right with the play-in um give my boys a week off yeah give them a week off Give the scouting team and the coaching staff a little bit of time to get into a war room and actually discuss some schemes and stuff before the playoffs start. Um, but you know what? Pandemic year number two, and we're just dealing with you know, the way that the cards are given to us, and this is how it is. So let's go. We're doing it live. <laughs> um, also, we should probably touch quickly on uh, between when we last recorded and now the Jazz played the Portland Trailblazers, and then the Trailblazer turned around and played the Suns. You're welcome, Phoenix. <laughs> uh, what did you think? I mean, the Jazz uh, lost to Portland. I think a lot of people had a lot of problems with that loss. And I did not. <laughs> I didn't either. Like, what is it? The uh, the Blazers have won something like nine of their last 11 games. They're playing really well. They're at full strength for like the first time all season. And we're seeing what this team can do. Like they have three guys who you can throw the ball to and just say, okay, go get a bucket. Norm Powell, CJ McCollum, and Damian Lillard, which actually happens to be like the power rankings of those three as well. Um, and then they've, you know, they've got Mello on the bench. They have Nurkic, who looks like he would be incredibly comfortable in a rotation with Rasheed Wallace and Brian Grant. Like that dude was just throwing elbows. Like he, he kind of looked like an offensive lineman playing football. And I respect it so much. Total respect for the way that Nurkic played the other night. I mean, it wasn't only that like he was throwing bows and being really physical and it, he was just, and that kind of that kind of confidence in the paint is something to be admired yeah. but and and you know no one has ever called Nurkic a bad defender i don't think he's no he's, he's not a, great not but... great but man he was defending the hell out of the pick and roll the other night yeah he was doing I, a great job uh, he's kind of on my like all uh, underrated team like he's right there like neck and neck with like Jonas Valanciunas and like Clint Capella like guys who are really good but don't necessarily get the recognition of a Rudy Gobert or a Embiid or a Jokic which is justified because they're not in that that level but they're still really good and uh, I, I just like to say about that Portland Jazz game uh, I don't have a lot to say about it what I have to say is that Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell were still out. Yes. And uh, the Jazz still played pretty well without them. And basically, like any loss to a moderately good team at this point, the Jazz are so tired. You can see it. They're tired. Their shots were flat. You lose that game, and I think, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Because I they don't ran think... Out of, yeah, they ran out of gas the second the second unit came in in the second quarter. Like you could, you could see, you could kind of see, it, it was like watching a, a stock tank, you know, if you watch the NASDAQ and it's slowly, slowly, slowly climbing. And then all of a sudden Elon Musk talks about Dogecoin and it just tanks. <laughs> yeah. And th that's fine with me because not having 
Mike and Don is like talking about Dogecoin. It's not great, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm fine they lose that game. They still have a chance to secure the number one seed, even though the Suns uh, beat Portland last night. And on a pretty ticky tack foul, I might add, but you know. Ticky tack, whatever. I mean, you get you ticky tack. It was still a foul. Way. It was still a foul. I'm not mad. Devin Booker also did completely, I mean, whether it was a double dribble, a carry, whatever he he uh he did a, an illegal thing with the basketball. And so it goes both ways. I'm fine with how it ended. The, the the argument, the discourse among jazz fans basically before the game started was do we want the Suns to lose so that we don't so that the Jazz only need one game to secure the number one seed? Or do we want the Suns to win because then Portland has a chance of falling. Portland and Dallas still have a chance of falling into that seven seed and the Lakers going into six. The Jazz could avoid playing the Lakers in the first round. Which is all I want. Yeah. Because that the Lakers scare me. I mean, regardless of we talked about it last episode, regardless of health or anything, like if you get AD and LeBron on the court, even if they're not 100%, like that's what the most dynamic duo in the NBA. Is there a better duo in the NBA? Maybe, maybe Harden and Kevin Durant. That's, that's debatable, but I mean, we're talking easily top two, top three. And like when you put them around uh, that is your nucleus. And then you have the supporting cast that the Lakers do like, Sure, like without AD and Braun, they're not a great team because, you know, they don't have their stars, but everybody in their roles, we saw what they did last year and they upgraded that, you know, and they have Trez and Schroeder and everyone else. And that's a team that really scares me. Yeah. And I mean, if they can avoid playing the Lakers in the first round, that's going to be great. But I mean, as we saw, you know, Chris Paul say in his walk-off interview last night, trying to avoid someone good in the West is impossible. I mean, yeah, it's a it's it's a fool's errand. Like it's not going to happen. Every team is good. I mean, if Portland falls down or if Dallas falls down, then that's probably the team that you're going to be facing. Is you're either going to get Portland, Dallas, or Golden State in that seven or eight spot, depending how things fall over the next couple of days. And then you're facing Steph Curry and Draymond Green, Luka Doncic, Damon CJ. Those are not easy outs. I don't care who you no, are. No, 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 no. And like those are all guys who have proven that they're that they can do it in the playoffs too. And they're all, each one of those teams, unlike the Lakers right now, are playing peak. Like the Warriors are playing yes. their best. It, Steph Curry's playing at MVP level. Luka and the Mavs are playing excellent right now. They've been doing great recently. And uh, they're figuring it out a little bit on the defensive end, which is surprising this late in the season. And same with Portland. Like, I still don't trust their defense at all. No. But they're playing, they're, their last 12 games have been the best games of the season. And I'm, I'm just surveying the landscape out of those three teams between the Warriors, the Blazers, and the Mavericks. I'm still taking a healthy Utah in a seven-game series. I don't think any of those three teams can beat the Jazz in a seven-game series. But, like, you're going to come out of that with some bumps and bruises and, you know, some black eyes. Like, that's not going to be an easy series or an easy out at all. And really quick, we'll just note that we're recording this on, what's this, Friday afternoon before the Jazz play the Thunder. Uh, we know that Mike Conley is going to be back in the lineup. That's a boost for him. He can get a little bit back into rhythm before the playoffs start. He is he is, on a minutes restriction? He is going to be on a minutes restriction. Um, but 
I, it's more precautionary than anything. Just ease him into things. Um, right. It's not because he's at risk of, you know, injuring anything. He's been out for a while. He let it heal. Um, the hamstring is just fickle. And so everything has been extra precautionary over the last few weeks. Um, then the Jazz will play the Kings on Sunday. And we turn around. Uh, what's that? Monday or Tuesday? The 18th. And the the play-in tournament starts. So it's going to be a busy week coming up before the play-in tournament starts. May 17th is when award ballots are due. Yes. And uh, full disclosure, I do not have a ballot vote. The Utah vote this season is with Tony Jones from the athletic. Uh, Is he just going to, he's going to announce everything, all of his awards uh, in quote tweets. Most likely, yeah. In full Tony Jones fashion, everything will be done in quote teams. Um, but that, that's where you send your hate mail. If you, so do not send award hate mail this, this way. Uh, but that's what we want to talk about today. That's our main topic is talking about the end of season awards and what that might look for look like for the Jazz. I think we have, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at what you wrote on the rundown for your ballot for who you believe is going to win these games or win these awards. And... Mm-hmm. We're we're close, uh, but well, we, let's we, let's argue. Yeah, I'm but really... we are gonna have we are gonna have some disagreements here. Um, yeah. First and foremost, I think this is across the board for many people, and I agree. Uh, Nikola Jokic is going to get the MVP this season, and he should. He's been the best player in the NBA all season long, and in a season that's been anything but predictable or reliable. He has been the most predictable, most reliable player in the NBA. Like, dude's averaging almost a triple-double. He's completely unguardable. Denver's offense is an anomaly. They're starting to pick it up on the defensive end. He's been he's been fabulous. I think that he got a little bit of a, an unfavorable narrative earlier in the season because it felt like everyone was saying, like, uh, you know, like, oh, it's James Harden and Jokic is behind him. And, you know, if James Harden goes out and then, oh, like maybe LeBron, but then LeBron went down. And then it was like, oh, well, now we're just left with Jokic and it's his award to lose. Well, guess what? He's been playing great all season and those guys did go down. That's the way that this works. I mean, he's been absolutely excellent. And then as everyone has been saying, well, like, yeah, everyone else is down and, you know, Jokic is still the one that's playing. Well, now he's playing better than he was even at the beginning of the season. I mean, he lost Jamal Murray. He lost Jamal Murray. The team's still doing great. He's absolutely the MVP this season. I have no problem with that. Yeah, he's been awesome. And I know Jazz fans don't necessarily love Jokic, um, but he really is one of my favorite players in the NBA. And every time I look at him, I think about the David uh, Roth tweets where he calls him a marshmallow wonder. Yeah, marshmallow and I just wonder. look at he's a marshmallow. He's the marshmallow wonder. He's like the Michelin man with the softest touch I've ever seen. He's incredible. Like he looks like his entire diet is like Funyuns and Diet Coke and will absolutely drop 50 points on your favorite player. He got yeah. his career high against Rudy Gobert. The yeah. best defender in the league. And 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 that's not to say really anything about Rudy's defense. No. It's, it's just a, it's that just amplifies how good of an offensive player Nikola Jokic is. And he can drop 40 on you with ease and still be the best passer on that team. 100%. He's a 7-foot Larry Bird. I love Larry Bird. How can you not? I, I here's a little inside 
insight for the listeners. I have a recurring dream where I've been having this for years, probably last decade, at least a recurring dream where I'm driving along, I guess, in Indiana for whatever reason. And out in French Lick. I'm definitely close to French Lake because lo and behold, broken down on the side of the road is Larry Bird. And I pull over and I like help him change a tire or whatever. And then he invites me to his French Lake home and we drink sweet tea and we just become best friends. It's a beautiful dream. <laughs> that's, that- a, that's, that's a movie that I would like to write. Can I write that screenplay? <laughs> You can write it. And as long as I get to star myself and then Larry Bird stars himself. And then on the set of the movie about becoming best friends, we actually become best friends. I love that. And you know what? I'm actually thinking about it now. You could actually take the tire that gets blown out and you use that as an actual like basketball rim. Yeah. You know, and he <laughs> he teaches you how to shoot. Uh, you know. I just I just think that we would get along. I think that we yeah. have the same like perspective on competition and family i just think that we would be good friends so that's all yeah. uh, off to that uh <laughs> <laughs> i'm we're gonna keep that in i guess so i just who's your yeah. rookie of the year anthony edwards tell me why i'm interested i think that Lamelo is probably a better player right now but anthony edwards has been playing the whole year that's fair and Anthony Edwards is just so much more exciting. Lamelo is boring. I don't. I'm sorry. Lamelo is wow. boring. Wow! <laughs> oh my goodness. No one's waking up wondering what Lamelo said last night. Well, right, because they're too busy fixated on his passes and the fact he's averaging 20 points as a rookie. Cool. <laughs> I Hornets, just, are, Hornets are making the playoffs. The Hornets are making the play. I get it. I I really understand that. Like, I there's not a huge argument for Anthony Edwards other than him being just very good. Like, that's probably yeah. where it ends. You know, Timberwolves aren't great. He kicked the Jazz ass. So he did. I'm like, that's the games. thing is like he's so confident. He's so surprised. I feel like I'm surprised and impressed more often when I watch Anthony Edwards. Than when I am when I watch them, I feel like I expect the things that I see out of Lamelo, and maybe that's my failing. But I, I just I'm like, I'm more excited when I watch Anthony Edwards. I doubt that he's going to get it, but that's who my vote would be for. That's, I, okay, fair. And you know what? Um, we're going to talk about this ad nauseum in the off season because Sarah and I, you know, little deep dive. We talk a lot about cool players. Yeah, we love a cool I've, guy. And I've made uh, a list. Anthony Edwards came into the league, was drafted number one, um, and is top three coolest players in the league. Not only he's is he so cool, he's so like he's so funny. He's got the best sound bites. Like he's kind of like the Muhammad Ali of the NBA when it comes to talk, which yeah. I am like a huge fan of. He just he rules as far as that goes. But sorry, I'm still going with Lamelo. I get it. I think that's going to be the he's consensus. The better, he's the better player. Yeah. He's averaging like almost 20 points. He's a prolific passer. And like, it's so incredibly rare for a rookie to come in and make a team better. Right. And, and, I, and I he's say, done that. Yeah. I will say this for LaMelo too. The guy broke his hand or his wrist and came back and is still good. Like and he's still just completely balling out. Like and he like, didn't, didn't skip a beat. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, 
obviously like anybody with a social media addiction and like who's into basketball, I've followed the ball saga, you know, and when he played in Lithuania and New Zealand and like, I was a little skeptical. I was like, okay, this guy's definitely an NBA player, but like, I did not have him picked. I didn't even think I have had him making all rookie and he's completely exceeded my expectations. He's been awesome. And the thing that's wild is that this is the worst that LaMelo ball is going to be for like 15 years. Yeah. That's and see, that's, I think the same thing about Anthony Edwards too. Because yeah. I, and I, and I love the narrative that he came into the league and people are like, Oh, this guy doesn't care about basketball. And, and he was like, he basically said, no, I don't care about basketball in the way you want me to. Right. I love basketball, not in the way you expect me to. And then he just, he's a baller, man. That guy's a baller. Yeah. Just, and just to that point, I'm going to, I'm going to get up on my soapbox because it drives me nuts. And we see this a lot that like, if you don't have a sociopathic level of love of basketball, like if you're not Kobe Bryant in the gym at 4am and 6am and 8am, 24 seven dedicating yourself to basketball somehow that's a knock like if you're a more well-rounded person that makes you somehow not want to be uh doesn't yeah you don't want to excel at basketball and like it's garbage it's stupid and like honestly give me anthony edwards in a situation like that somebody who's well-rounded and likes you know wants to be a cool well-rounded person over a psycho i can't remember I can't remember which, which coach it was. I, I want to say that it was Mike Malone. Maybe it was Dave Yeager. It was, it was when, it was when DeMarcus was in Sacramento. And so it was a coach. I mean, was it Dave Yeager? I think it had, it was Dave Yeager, right? I mean, they were both there like back to back. Right. Right. So it was one of these coaches, Dave Yeager, Mike Malone, both great coaches, both well-respected. So also similar looking. So yeah, yeah. I get that. Uh, exactly. Um, I remember the soundbite because it was, you know, everyone used to talk about how DeMarcus Cousins just like complained all the time and was always getting technicals and fighting with people. And the quote from the coach was like, listen, he gets fired up about basketball 10 times out of 10. I want that guy on my team rather than a guy that I have to encourage and pump up and get him into the game. DeMarcus Cousins comes in every night and is fired up. And that's what I feel like when I see, you know, it's the, everything that you had just said, it's like Jimmy Butler is always talking about how he wakes up at four o'clock every morning, goes to the gym and he's in there before everybody else. Well, maybe Anthony Edwards sleeps until 10 o'clock, but he's well rested. His treatment's probably better, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And he, maybe he gets the same amount of sleep because he goes to sleep at 2 AM because he's watching film until then. Like the, the narrative that you have to be a certain type of player and that it's that person that you were talking about, the guy that's in the gym all the time. And it's that sociopathic love for basketball that comes in many different forms and that just needs to be respected. And I respect Anthony Edwards for it. Nothing but respect. All right. All right. Moving, Moving on. DPOY. I think that this is actually not just clear cut because we have, you know, bias on what we see all the time. I think that the league is probably heading in this direction too, from what I've understood from most people that I've talked to who have votes. Rudy Gobert is going to be a three-time defensive player of the year after this year. Only because we fetishize rim protection. Yeah. <laughs> because, because, uh, 
the jazz are obsessed with screen assists <laughs> yes which actually really help you on the defensive end. yeah they're like, yeah, they're like i mean <laughs> gobert's having arguably the like what like a top five best defensive season in the history of the nba like if you look at all his like advanced metrics and like the 538 stuff with like raptor and lebron and all that stuff like he's so far away like and just so far removed from anybody else that like yeah it's a no-brainer all right I mean, it's the same, I mean, it's the same argument that anybody could have given in the previous two times that he's won defensive player of the year. He's he's having a better season, right? He's having a better season. And I think it is, it is completely an undervalued part of this year's story. The step back on the offensive end that Rudy Gobert has been asked to take because the jazz Mm -hmm. are committing so much to a perimeter game. That means that He's a huge part of the offense, but in a non-production way. They they need him to draw people. The pick and roll is valuable because that's what collapses a defense and allows them to get open shots on the perimeter. And so it's incredibly valuable to have a threat like Rudy Gobert on the offensive end in order to get those shots. But he's getting less touches. And to have a guy as prideful and competitive as Rudy Gobert do that and still just come out and show out and have the best defensive year of his career and still be playing great on the offensive end. It's incredibly impressive. And he, he's going to win it. Yeah. Everything you said, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. I will say this, and this is, you know, this is my little humble brag because I remember uh, this was like Rudy's second or third season. And like, he still kind of looked like a baby giraffe um, on roller skates out there but you could see the glimpses you know and he was still an awesome player and there was one game in particular that season where like Lamar LaMarcus Aldridge back when he was on the Blazers torching the Jazz in the second half Derek Favors couldn't just didn't have what it took to to guard him and then Rudy guarded him in the second half and he had like four points the Jazz ended up winning that game like and I remember tweeting out like Rudy's gonna be a 14 and 14 guy one of these days and lo and behold what is he averaging and, 14 and 14. So and the I'm thing is, is like back. the 14 and 14, like it's impressive. It doesn't, it doesn't tell, it the, doesn't whole tell story. the whole story. Yeah. And I, I wrote recently in a, co- I, I did a little bit of a, like a film breakdown recently on desert.com that uh, showed there's no stat that you can look up for deterring a player from even taking a shot in the paint. There's not a yeah. stat that we can look at that just is the deterrent, you know? Mm-hmm. And Gobert does that so often where he'll have guys drive it when he steps up to them, they just turn around. They're not even oh, interested. Yeah. And I think, I think those are things that they're immeasurable, um, but people see them, people notice people around the league are smart and uh, he's going to be getting his just rewards. Yeah. Did you see that clip that was making the rounds? I think it was like Dan Clayton who tweeted it out of that game a couple of weeks ago against the Spurs where DeJounte Murray gets a steal. Right. That's and, exactly that's exactly yeah. the one that I'm talking about. After that game is when we looked at the film on that. I think Ken Clayton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it was that's the Ken. three different guys that Rudy deterred. He got out on the fast break and stopped the break and then stopped two other guys from even coming into the paint. No one wanted to shoot against him. Yeah. And you're right. There's no, there's no stat to be able to calculate that, but he legitimately shuts down an entire area, the most valuable area of of the basketball court. Yeah, the most the most efficient portion of the of the court is completely dominated by Rudy Gobert. Yeah, uh, six man of the year. Uh, this one, 
I, I think that it's down to two jazz players at this point. I don't think that's really arguable. We're down to Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles. That's who most people are going to have on their ballots. Yeah. I find it very interesting that Joe Ingles is some people's favorite to win this. I think that it should be Jordan Clarkson's. I think Jordan Clark is going to win it. I'm actually on the opposite side of the spectrum. I think that it should be Joe Ingles. Why do you think that it should be Joe? Because he's the more valuable player. He wins you more games. He runs the offense. He has more responsibility. Now, my love for Jordan Clarkson is well documented. One of my favorite players. The only jazz guy on the definitive cool list. Cool, coolest jazz player in so long. Yeah, since Boris, since Boris Diaw and Joe Johnson. <laughs> yeah, but he, uh, we'll talk about that. Later. Yeah, we'll get to that. But like Jordan Clarkson's one job, and he excels at it, is to actually he has two jobs, and it's being handsome and getting buckets, and he excels at both. It was a great now, job. Joe Ingles, one of the best things, and huge hats off to Quinn Snyder for doing this um, because he figured out where Joe really excels and the Jazz got rid of of Emmanuel Moutier and they handed the keys of the the second team offense to Joe Ingles. He's been the de facto point guard all year and he has absolutely excelled. He didn't really, he came out, came out of the gate kind of slow. I was really kind of worried. I remember like sending texts to friends at the beginning of the season be like, is this dude going to retire at the end of the season? And then somehow gets his mojo and he's like almost on pace for like a 50, 40, 90 season while running one of the best bench units and being like one of the Jazz's most valuable players. He has more responsibility. He shoulders more of the load and he's been absolutely showing out all season. So Joe Ingles, my sixth man of the year. I'm, I'm not going to argue with any of that. It's all true, right? The only problem that I have with it is that it strays a little bit from what I think the sixth man award should be for. Because at this point, Joe has started uh, in 28 games, I believe. and yeah, So fair. he's only played 37 of the games off the bench as, in a sixth man role. And he does not play as well in that role. I mean, he is, if you're looking at six man, like, you know, we've got a guy that's missing. Who are we going to bring into the starting lineup? Then yes, the man is Joe Ingles. But I think as your regular first guy off the bench, Joe plays better when he's in the starting lineup. He's obviously getting more touches with Donovan and Mike out. I just, I just don't think that the body of work as a bench player this season equals what Jordan Clark and Jordan Clarkson. I mean, he scores more than anyone else in the league off the bench by far. Yeah. And, and so I just, and usually the six man award has a lot to do with scoring because it's that, that first guy, like who's going to produce for you off the bench. Who's going to give you that spark. That's, right. And none of these are written rules in who you have to vote for, but it's just the way that I feel about it. I think that just Joe hasn't played enough off the bench, which is not a knock on him. It's just about the award. I, yeah. I don't have any arguments against that. I do have a question though. Yeah. If it is it. all about buckets and we're seeing Lou Williams at the tail end of his career, Lou Williams is kind of washed. Yeah. I hate to say it. I love the guy, definitive cool guy. Is Jordan Clarkson the new new Lou Williams? Jordan Clarkson is Jordan Clarkson. 
I, I'm not, I don't think that, listen if we had Jordan Clarkson right here and you said are you the new Williams he'd be like I'm Jordan Clarkson yeah okay and right. and I'm, I want to give him that respect put some respect on the man's name <laughs> nothing but respect for my beautiful handsome boy <laughs> yeah. the all of Greg's sons from the jazz um what's next on the list what do we have here coach of the year coach of the year jazz fans are going to want to hear that quinn snyder is going to win this i definitely think he's going to get votes i don't think that he's going to win this i mean there are three coaches in kind of on my ballot to choose from and i wouldn't be mad if any of those three won my uh my pick was monty williams i think what he's done in phoenix has been Nothing short of incredible. We talked about it on the last pod, but, uh, you know, Phoenix showed glimpses that they were going to be a good team last year in the bubble when they went undefeated. Still didn't make the playoffs. But you saw you saw that foundation, and Monty Williams has come in. They got Chris Paul, and they've really just handed the keys to him, and we've seen, seen the results. Like, there's still an outside chance that a team that hasn't made the playoffs in God knows how long might end up being the one seed. My vote goes to Tom Thibodeau. I think he's been like, did you have the Knicks making the playoffs this year? Be honest. I sure as hell didn't. No, I did not. I did not. And like, did you have the Knicks as the number one defense in the league? I sure (laughs) as hell didn't. Did you? That's like, you're making great points. Making great points. I didn't have Julie. I didn't have Julius Randle making an all-star team or an all NBA team. That's called foreshadowing. Yeah, that you? is. You're doing a great job right now. You're, I'm not joking, Greg. You're changing my mind right now. Tibbs has been awesome. Does Tibbs still look like the penguin from Batman? Absolutely. Yes. Is he an absolute psychopath? 100%. 100%. Has he turned the Knicks into the biggest joke of the NBA, into an actual contender who could win a first round series? live live on the show greg you've completely changed my mind right now tom thibodeau's my coach of the year he's been awesome he's got rj barrett playing at a near all-star level i never thought that was ever going to be come out of my mouth here's you know what yeah let me let me add to your argument now instead of taking away from it (laughs) unsalvageable baby (laughs) so i mean i will say just very quickly for uh, Quinn Snyder, uh, coach of the number one team through most of the season, that deserves yep. recognition. 100%. Um, I think that since the Jazz have kind of tapered a little bit towards the end of the season, without Donovan Mitchell, without Mike Conley in the lineup, that's going to lose him some votes. And people are looking elsewhere for a different narrative, right? Just, you can't just to just... play, oh, sorry, just to play <laughs> devil's advocate real quickly, though, if the Jazz do end up the number one seed, uh, with Mike and Donnie missing significant time, right. I think that I think that does I think that needs to be factored in, and it would not surprise me if if Quinn ended up winning it. And if he did, uh, I would have no qualms about that at all. Right, I would I would have absolutely no problem with Quinn Snyder winning Coach of the Year. And I think exactly as you said, they're going to be finishing out the regular season without Donovan Mitchell if they win these last two games, and they get that number one seed. Uh, at that point, I don't think that Monty Williams 
argument is as good as Quinn's for the yeah. reward. I think, listen, I think that there's a problem that we're going to have where people are, they're going to, whenever they talk about Monty Williams and what he's been able to do with the Suns this year, they're going to bring up what happened in the bubble last year, how they went undefeated. And I get it. That's a part of the narrative, but that was last year. That's not this year. And yeah. this year they were expected to be a playoff team. It's what was expected of them. And yes, they're ending a playoff drought and Devin Booker and Chris Paul are playing at all-star levels. They were last year too. And so yeah. I don't think that it's as huge of a leap as maybe is being described. Now, moving on to Tibbs, they don't have Chris Paul and Devin Booker. They don't have Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. These, these guys don't. It's a ragtag team of guys who no one expected anything from. Julius Randle has completely changed the way he plays basketball. 100%. If you were to tell me that Julius Randle would be the second best power forward in the league, uh, early in 2021, I would have laughed in your face. Yeah. Like it's just, it's incredible. And exactly to your point, like, I mean, these guys are playing so hard. I mean, I was just watching them. Like I said, yesterday, that fourth quarter against the Spurs and, and they just play hard. Yeah. And that's, that can, part of that can come from you know an internal competitive spirit on an individual basis with the players but you've got to have someone sparking that and that's got to be the head coach yeah. and you know Tibbs famously can get guys to play hard for him he's he's established a culture with the New York Knicks that's incredible and the thing that's so cool is that it, it's so reminiscent of those old Nick teams too that just we beat don't you have stars defense. we're gonna beat you with defense we're coming in hot right out of the gate we don't need time to warm up like we're ready to go like just I, junkyard dogs ready to burst out I love this Knicks team if, yeah if, if the listeners haven't grasped that yet I love this Knicks team um and I am such a huge fan of Tibbs Tibbs coach of the year I honestly think that Monty Williams is going to win this. I, I think he's going to win it, and but I think that that's a mistake. I think that people are going to be taking into account what he was able to do with the team last season too much. Um, hopefully they don't. I think I think that it should be between between Tibbs and Quinn. So yeah. we'll see what happens there. Mm-hmm. I think I still we, wouldn't. Do I still we wouldn't be mad. Think, are we ending right now where we both think that Tibbs should be coach of the year? Yeah, and we're gonna. I'm gonna snow. I'm gonna snowball on this, and there's no other argument as well. Just talking about the Knicks, and that's moving on to most improved player. It's Julius Randle. It's Julius Randle by a mile. By by a Julius Randle shoulder width length. Well, I didn't think that he was gonna like play up to his contract ever. I never thought no. that that was gonna be a thing. I. It was like he was always gonna be overpaid, underachieving, and like I said. He has changed the way he plays. He's totally changed his body too. It's inc- he has had an incredible season. He absolutely deserves this more than a lot of people in the past that have won this award that I can think of. Yeah. And like if you yeah, you watch the way he plays now, he's like he's like a, a super-sized James Harden. Like dude is hitting step back three-pointers is is using his 250 pound frame to get to the rim whenever he wants he's defending his off like he's been awesome the the leap he's made is one of the biggest leaps i think i've seen in nba history in a long time yeah most improved i'm looking at some of his numbers right now so i'm obviously he's 
like efficiently playing one of the best seasons of his career, mm-hmm. averaging 24 points career high. He's averaging a double double. He's averaging 10.2 rebounds per game. Uh, that matches a career high, career high 5.9 assists per game. Six um, assists from the power from your power forward. Right. And then here's this. He's never shot over 73% from the free throw line this season, 81% from the free throw line. Uh, He's never shot over 34% from three point. He's a 41% three point. He's a 40% three point shooter. Julius Randall. That's I mean, that's incredible to have never gone uh, his best three point shooting season before this season was 2018, 19, when he shot 34.4%. And this season he's shooting 41%. That's, That's incredible. How do, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he did it. Coach deserves, uh, Tibbs deserves Coach the U just for getting Julius Randle to play like this. This is insane. Yeah. I love it. We're agreeing. That's that's even more insane. We're agreeing, and it's very exciting. I'm excited for him. Uh, executive of the year, sure. James Jones from Phoenix, I don't really care. <laughs> sure. He he took a gamble on Chris Paul, and it worked, um, and the Suns are rolling, and they're good, and he did a good job. Congratulations. Honorable mention to uh, to Sam Presti for just an absolute tank job and for somehow uh, getting enough people to play badly around Lou Dort. <laughs> that and, like, and also having, like, just an embarrassment of draft picks he has like i don't know he has all of them all of them yeah it's like the next three drafts are just going to be the thunder okay very quickly um i think we'll go through all nba um yeah i think that we both have the same first and second team uh for all nba want me to rattle them off go ahead rattle them off First team uh, guards are Steph Curry and Luka Doncic. Forwards, Kawhi Leonard and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And center, your MVP, Nikola Jokic. No real uh, surprises there. Second team, Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal as the guards. Forwards are LeBron James and the aforementioned awesome Julius Randle. And center, Joel Embiid. And go ahead, rattle off your third team because this is where we're going to argue. Yeah, I mean, I do think that I might, I might uh, switch up because we, I think we both got Rudy Gobert um, making an All NBA team. Yeah. I think that I might put him second team and Joel Embiid uh, third, purely because you know if Joel Embiid is not going to get the MVP or the DPOY, then he'll get third team All NBA, and I'll put the other two in front of him. I really don't care what the order of those sure. are, but that's all to say, third team Rudy Gobert as your center. Um, you've got Chris Paul. James Harden, Paul George, and Jimmy Butler. Chris Paul and James Harden as the guards, George and Butler as our forwards. Yeah. And is Jimmy Butler are is he a forward on the on the ballot? Do we know that for sure? He's got to be right. I think he's some yeah, he's one of those like weird hybrids, kind of like Luca that you can put him in as either right. a guard or a forward. Here's and- the problem. <laughs> Jimmy Butler, let's see, he missed, he's played, he's played 52 games this season. Okay. That's, I don't know if that's enough for it. Generally, historically, there's like sort of an unwritten rule that the people that you vote for, for these award for the end of year awards or even all NBA. And sometimes it's a little bit, you can flux it a little bit with all NBA and all defenses. You want them to have played like 75% of the games. Well, 72 game season, it brings it down a little bit. So maybe you let that number slide. 
I, I don't know how much you let it slide. And then also it's just, it's hard for me to imagine Donovan Mitchell being like the best guard on the best team in the NBA through the majority of the season and not getting an all NBA spot. But that being said, the fact that he's missing all of these games at the tail end of the season, I think really hurts his case to make an all NBA team. Yeah. And I want, I want to put Donovan on my all NBA team, but that's exactly the reason why he hasn't. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that even if he'd had maybe five games at the end of the regular season, if he'd come back, I think that that probably would have knocked him in, but I, I don't know if he's going to be able to get in after missing that many games at the end. I mean, at that point, let's see, played 53 games. So when all is said and done, Donovan Mitchell, 75% of the season. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell will have played 53 games of the season. And that's on the, for the best team in the league. It's it. He has a really good argument and he's improved his game from last year. Um, And we're talking about a big bonus that he could get for making that all NBA team. And so I think that there, there's going to be a lot of push for him to do it. Uh, There's the voters will try to be, will be swayed or at least attempted to be swayed. Who else on this? James Harden. That's a little difficult. Yeah. Um, If if Donovan made it over James Harden, I certainly wouldn't be heartbroken. Oh, okay. James Harden has, I mean, to date played in 43 games this season. Yeah. That might hurt him. I mean, if the voter, if the if you're looking at this and you're putting it together and you put these guys next to each other and you say James Harden, now, James Harden was probably playing at an MVP level uh, yes. early in the season. I mean, you got to take that in, into consideration. But the same as Donovan, he has missed a lot of time. And I don't, I don't know. How, I mean, how much do we take into consideration narrative for all NBA team? Because if we're taking it in consideration for MVP, DPOY, any of those like year-end awards, I think that it matters less for all NBA and all defense. I think those are more performance-based. Sure. But matters a little bit. And James Harden's fallout from Houston was disgusting. It was, it was awful. Yeah. He quit 100%. He quit and he tried to, you know, he tried to go on the jump and tell Rachel Nichols that, you know, there was some stuff taken out of context and that he wasn't trying to disrespect people. I don't, I don't know what his definition of disrespect is. Uh, but when you say that your team's not good enough and you say it on a national broadcast, that it was a bitch move. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, it's pr- it's pretty easy to play well when you just bring all, like all the stars in the league to Brooklyn. I I just don't like I don't like how they compose the team. I don't like how nope. James Harden left Houston. James Harden has played forty three games this season. Um, I don't think that he deserves to be on All NBA team. That's where I'm putting Donovan Mitchell. Uh, you've convinced me. There we are. <laughs> this yeah. is this is now debate team. <laughs> <laughs> Donovan Mitchell, third team All NBA. I have no problem with that. Um, James Arden, eat poop. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna bleep that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm with you. Uh, it's wild that uh, Brooklyn became one of the, from went from being one of the most endearing teams in the bubble and just they ruled to just being the ultimate supervillain. Yeah, and I, I hate that team. What sucks because so- they're. <laughs> they're really fun to watch and they're so good, but it just, it's like, I have like a moral obligation to hate them. 
Yeah, I, it really sucks because I, it feels like, you know, Karis LeVert and Jared Allen were so much about a part of how cool that team was and how yes. exciting they were and how fun they were to watch. And then you got rid of, you got rid of two of like the most fun, energetic, exciting, young, cool players in the league. And then you inserted like James Harden, Kyrie Irving. And it's just like, wah, wah. And, and Blake Griffin too. <laughs> yeah. And like, uh, I, this is like a, a deep rewind, but like, you know what? I'm glad that I'm glad that Karis Levert went somewhere else to find the kidney problem that he had. He's back on the court. He's doing great. Very happy for him. Jared uh, Allen is probably going to have a very long career, and I'm, I'm going to get paid. I'm He's glad that they good. don't have to be around what is probably a toxic environment now in Brooklyn. Uh, but it is disappointing for Brooklyn to not be a fun team anymore. Amen. Amen. Uh, do we want to talk about, uh, all defense or maybe, you know what, maybe instead of like running through a first and second team, all defense, let's just talk. Mm-hmm. Do we think that Royce O'Neal has a chance to make an all defensive team? Does he have a chance? Absolutely. Um, and I think it's warranted. I think he's been an, an awesome defender and he has covered up so many blemishes because the jazz really only have three plus defenders in their starting lineup. Donovan Mitchell has the characteristics. He has the ability to be a good defender. He is not a good defender. Mm-hmm. Boyan is not a good defender. And when you have somebody like Royce O'Neal, who takes on the, the best player, the best perimeter player on, on the floor every single night, I think that's something that really needs to be taken into consideration. Um, I also think he's an incredibly unheralded player. If you ask like a random NBA casual, if they knew who Royce O'Neal was. Not a chance. No, not a chance. They have no idea who he is. Yeah. And if, you know, and one thing we know about these awards is that they're definitely reputation based. And I don't think that Royce O'Neal has that reputation, regardless of whether or not that's warranted. So I'm a little skeptical that he makes the team, but I do think he's deserving. So every season, NBA teams will put together some some gimmicky sort of promotional package to give to the voters and uh, different media personnel to try to convince them of who to vote for for these awards. Um, I remember one year there was like a Mm-hmm. One for like Zach Randolph and there was one for Dwight Howard and the Dwight Howard one was a briefcase. You got a briefcase and inside of it was like Clark Kent glasses and a cape and then a, like a newspaper that had all of Dwight Howard's stats on it. And so it was like the Superman kit. That's, and that's a great campaign. It's a that's, great campaign. That's, that's good marketing. And then like for Zach Randolph, it was like uh, about all about locking down the paint. And so you got a paint can and inside the paint can were different like paint sample strips. And uh, on each strip, it was like a new stat or like something that he did. And they were all various colors of like blue because he was in Memphis. So those are examples of the kind of campaign. This season from the the jazz, we got um, a package of zines. So small magazines and each one has a sort of theme and there's a sixth man one, for Joe, it's called Smooth Cup of Joe and- um, Cool as hell. Yeah, and and each page basically is themed on a different type of coffee. There's like an espresso, a drip coffee, uh, cold brew. And then, uh, for example, uh, the drip coffee page is, uh, it says 70% true shooting, 50.8 field goal percentage, 47.7 field goal 
for decisions from three, 84.7 free throw percentage. Drip coffee, this is the best part of waking up. Hot water filters through the grounds, creating a freshly brewed drink that has set the industry standard. Joe Ingles sets the standard too. The Aussie has posted the best true shooting percentage in the NBA at 70%. So like the argument fits the theme. Awesome. There's um, one that's turning on the heat, different forms of heat for all NBA for Donovan Mitchell. Uh, cut above the rest as the DPOY zine and all, all NBA for Rudy Gobert. Every page is a different crystal. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the Jordan Clarkson sixth man of the year is uh, it's called a walking bucket. And then every page is a different kind of bucket, mop bucket, milk bucket ice bucket let's go all the buckets um i i you know i don't want to i don't want to be the mouthpiece for the jazz but this this was a good campaign and um uh, they brought up some stuff that you were talking about with royce o'neill because they have an all defense one it's called a lockdown defender each page is a different type of lock padlock bike lock rim lock deadbolt um and this is the this is the first stat that's brought up uh, in this, you know, promotional magazine, Royce O'Neal has spent more minutes guarding other teams' top offensive option than any other player in the NBA. 42% of his 1,700 plus minutes have been spent making sure that a tier one usage player isn't going anywhere. That yeah. is an incredible, like That's 42%, an 42% of the time that he's on the floor, he is guarding a number one option. Yeah. And like, whether that's any guards, four positions, one through four. Yeah. And sometimes five, depending if it's a stretch guy so that Rudy can patrol the paint. And yeah, again, I, I don't have any arguments against Royce O'Neal being, or not making all defense. He deserves it. I just, I'm not sure it's going to happen. Yeah, and I think, you know, like I said, uh, the All-NBA and All-Defense are really performance-based, but that doesn't mean that there's no narrative involved and reputation is a part of that narrative. And I I just don't know if he has enough. He actually, he absolutely deserves a look. I don't know if the vo- votes are going to come in for him, but um, it, it wouldn't shock me, though, if we heard that Royce O'Neal was named, like, second team All-Defense. All yeah, it wouldn't either. And I'm my fingers and my toes are crossed for the guy because he deserves it. He's been he's been awesome this season. I think uh, I think all that's left is putting a bow on this bad boy. I would just like to say that again, I we said it in the last episode. I'm very excited about this. We're so excited to be part of Blue Wire. We're excited to be hanging out with each other even more than we were before. We're excited <laughs> to be talking ball. I'm excited for jazz fans to be listening. Um, I just want to remind everyone, rate, review, subscribe, download, follow us on Twitter uh, at NBA Sarah and at Dad Sham Dad. Follow the Unsalvageable podcast on Twitter at Unsalvageables. That's plural. And I mean, don't forget, we will have mailbag episodes coming. So you can send us an email at unsalvageablepod at gmail.com. If you've got questions, if you want us to cover a topic, we'd love to interact with you guys. And I keep the love coming. And thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. I didn't, yeah, you said everything. So I didn't really think I needed to add anything.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.